0: Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard.
1: Hi. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We've got uh, a couple of fantastic guests today, and I learned a lot from... um, the interview about crowd financing, which is something that I've wanted to know more about. Uh, So if you're listening to our first interview today, it is terrific. we receive emails from all over the planet and uh, from five continents. And we go through those pretty carefully. And it's really interesting that no matter where the email comes from or whether it comes from a big company or a small company, the questions are pretty much all the same, which goes to show us that we all have similar problems no matter where in the world that we are. And uh, so if I can address those problems, then we can help a whole heap of businesses all at once. So tell me what you think. Send me an email. Send me a Twitter. Join me on LinkedIn. Subscribe to my – go onto my website, www.bobpritchard.com subscribe to my email, and let's get this planet really rocking again. I've talked on previous shows about um, the major mistakes that companies make, and uh, there's a whole string of them that are really simple, and if you thought about it, you wouldn't make them. But one of the biggest mistakes is being unable to write compelling sales copy that will get potential customers interested in the product and then motivate them to a sale. You know, I get emails all the time saying I'm running ads, I'm running them on radio, I'm running them in newspapers, I'm doing all sorts of stuff, and um, I'm not getting any result. Even my emails, I'm not getting a good response to my emails, and usually that's not because there's anything wrong with the um, communication vehicle, it's usually because the copy and the technique used within the copy doesn't work, is usually off skew. So over the past few weeks, I've been telling you how easy it is now to get expert advice from some of the most successful people in the world at a fee of just 2000 bucks a month, which is a hell of a lot cheaper than hiring a marketing director or a sales director or a business director or a finance director. And you can pick and choose which topic you um, you want to talk about, and it's still only two grand a month. So this is... Today, I'm going to talk about one of those simple mistakes can be readily fixed by using these low-cost experts, for example. Now, if your car was having a problem and you knew nothing at all about cars, would you open the bonnet and try to fix it yourself? No, I don't think you would. It would be plain stupid. It could end up costing you far more than the original problem. So why do so many businesses try to write their own advertisements, write their own brochures and flyers and other marketing communication when they simply don't know how to do it? It is as difficult to write compelling, motivating copy as it is to fix a car. It simply doesn't make sense to do it yourself. And if you don't know what you're doing, then you shouldn't be doing it. You could end up in a bigger mess than you were in before. And it's hard enough to make money without wasting it. Now I'll give you a simple example. A client of mine, Spit Roast Professionals, was running advertisements in a whole string of yellow pages and was receiving 74 inquiries a week. After hiring us and having some research done to identify the hot buttons, you know, we were able to create An impactful headline, we included a CPB, a risk reversal, added value, and a strong call to action. The ad was better laid out. The number of inquiries we received jumped from 74 to 3,400. So from 74 inquiries to 3,400, just by having their Yellow Pages ads done Professionally, Now ask yourself, would your business be better off if you got 50 times more inquiries than you do now? The answer is, of course you would. So why do it yourselves? You, you know, most people say, well, geez, I really can't afford it if I can save a bit of money by not getting a professional. It doesn't save you money, it costs you money. With the extra calls that you get, You could hire a dozen experts. So, you know, the real problem comes when somebody thinks they know what they're doing when, in fact, they don't. Because when you write your own copy, your efforts are usually self-centered and they're not focused on the wants and the needs of the customer. You know, I consult the companies every day and very few of them really realize what it is that the customers are actually buying. Big companies have entire design, research and marketing departments that do nothing but put together and create marketing and advertising strategies and materials. Of course, as you know, if you listen regularly to this program, most companies and their ad agencies still do dreadful institutional advertising, which is of absolutely no benefit at all and just pisses away money. In this cluttered marketplace, which is becoming more and more commoditized and brand awareness is absolutely useless, you know, we need to differentiate the product inside the ads. We need to build brand equity and sell something. That's what's important. Important is not getting people knowing about you. It's actually selling somebody something. The University of Berkeley determined that 86% of all managers are poor communicators. Now, they don't agree with that. When you ask managers whether they're a good communicator, most of them say yes, but when, in fact, studies show that they're lousy. So how can somebody who's lousy at communicating write compelling copy and drive sales? The answer is they just can't. So we all need to learn how to communicate better with our prospects but you don't want to learn with your hard-earned money that constantly gets dreadful results. No one has all the answers, but there's no question that unless it is your forte, you're much better off hiring an expert and doing the job properly. Of course, you could say that I'm saying this because I'm a consultant, but we're trained to look at things from a prospect's point of view. We've been trained in the degrees of importance of the various elements in a message. We know what will motivate customers and get them to respond. We can do it far easier than an insider from the company can. Because the majority of companies don't know how to put together a, a persuasive marketing piece, most marketing documents make a number of simple mistakes that make it almost impossible for the message to work. Let's look at a couple of those. Firstly, most brochures, flyers and advertisements, not to mention letters and emails and even social media, focus on the seller instead of the buyer and the benefits that the buyer gets. Most are painfully boring, dull, uninteresting. Most of them tell the client how wonderful they are. But, you know, they don't realise that the prospect doesn't give a damn about you. They only care about them. So every word you use telling them about you is a waste. Most advertising doesn't clearly spell out the value proposition. It doesn't clearly differentiate the product or service from competitors. Most ads don't have a compelling headline. They don't have a consumer purchasing benefit. They don't have a risk reversal. They don't have added value. And most of them don't even have a call to action. Jesus, I wonder why they don't work. They don't make a connection emotionally with the prospect and they don't excite the prospect to want to take action now. Don't Most ads don't tell the prospect what's in it for them if they act now. They assume that the prospect is as interested in the product or service as the seller is. The reality is, they're not. Most messages are usually about product and service and features, which the prospect don't give a rat's ass about. All the prospect really cares about are the benefits they get from the product or service. A lot of ads try to be creative and clever, thinking that clever sells, when usually clever does nothing to either sell or motivate. And most marketing messages don't use the opportunity to build brand equity. In short, most in-house prepared marketing and advertising messages really suck. And they're just a hundred effort and resources. The only thing that matters is relentlessly focusing on your prospect's desires. You must focus on the benefit that your prospect wants. You must clearly define your value proposition. You've got to ensure that you deliver on the promises and continue to improve your product or service. You know, I've just mentioned nine of the literally dozens of traps for companies who do not have the skills or the training to do their own marketing and advertising. Have a look and listen to the typical marketing communications that are going on around you. It's terrible, often bordering on horrific. It's a waste of paper, airtime, money, time, energy, and valuable resources. How often do you watch an ad and at the end of the ad say, what the hell was that for? Well, that ad's a failure. Find yourself a professional marketer, a copywriter, a designer that can deliver what the prospect wants and motivate them to buy now. Remember the lesson of 74 inquiries increasing to 3,400. Now now the question becomes, can I afford not to do it, rather than can I afford to do it? Your Your investment will be worth more than anything else you've ever spent your marketing money on. So this is a perfect example of just how often you need some expert advice on something at your business. It may be how to maximise your presence at a trade show. It could be the layout of an advertisement, whether to take up an offer from a radio station, how to maximise sponsorship of a little league team, or it could be a million things. But go out, get an expert. If you want to know how to do that, send me an email at bob at com, and I'll be delighted to send you the info. So don't forget to let me know what you'd like me to discuss on the program. Go to bobpritchard.com, tweet me, email me, contact me on LinkedIn. Just get in touch. I love to hear from you. We go through every email and we categorize them so that we know what your needs and requirements are. Let's get this country moving again. It's starting to be on the upswing. Let's get behind it. Now, I'll be back in a couple of minutes with my first guest who is sensational he's um a guy who used to be in the film business he's now in crowdfunding and crowdfunding is all of something that all of us who are entrepreneurs may well need to know a lot more about so i'll be back in just a second
0: it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at
1: bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. To the Bob Pritchard radio show. This is a radio show that aims to help young entrepreneurs to build their businesses, and uh, I think today's segment will be extremely interesting for you if you're in that category. You know, I love doing these interview segments because I get to speak to people that are way smarter than me, and uh, I've made some great friends from people that I've spoken to, and I get to learn about new things that I never would have known about otherwise. Tonight is one of those nights. My guest is Todd Whipple, who produced feature films, television, and new media projects. He founded Scout Productions in Boston, and among his credits are Queer Eye for a Straight Guy for Bravo NBC, Session 9 for USA Films, and Dead Man's Curve for Trimark. Now, most people would kill to have a career like that, but Todd is doing something actually Far more important, you know, and I love show business, but Todd's actually doing something far more important, I reckon. He is a superhero to entrepreneurs as CEO of Startup Addict. Now, this is a crowdfunding company, um, which I've been familiar with crowdfunding for some time, but I really need to know more because I'm probably like most of you, I don't know a lot about it. Todd, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Bob. It's a pleasure. You know, I get about 70 businesses coming to me every week looking for funding. Most have knocked on 100 doors only to be rejected or offered half what they need for double the equity that they want to give away. You know, so what's the basic principle of crowdfunding? Why is it better than knocking on 1,000 doors?
2: Well, it's, it's more organized, for one. Um, you know, knock, knocking on 1,000 doors isn't all that organized. So nah. there's, there's probably 400 crowdfunding platforms worldwide currently. Oh, okay. And, and what, what Startup Addicts one of those 400, and they all vary in size. Probably the most famous one is Kickstarter. Yeah. Everybody's heard of that. It's based out of the U.S. Uh, it's based on a, a donation platform. There's really three, three ingredients or three types of crowdfunding. You've got a donation-based which is like Kickstarter and how Startup Addict started. Yep. You also have a lending-based, like a peer-to-peer lending uh, crowdfunding platform, and you also have an equity-based uh, platform, which, until recently, that's been pretty much banned outside of the United States, and there are some platforms that offer that. But what what all the platforms do, regardless of if it's donation, lending, or equity, is they allow the crowd, the masses, to come together and look at an idea and fund an idea for a startup that you know, an entrepreneur may not have access to capital otherwise.
1: Yeah. So how does somebody qualify for crowdfunding and, and what sort of amount of money can they get? And how do you vet these companies? How do you make sure that it's a good investment for the people that um, come in?
2: Well, you know, that, that's that been the difficulty in crowdfunding as it, as it matures is making sure that the, that the startups, the entrepreneurs, and the product that you're approving, To go live on your platform to accept funding, you know, are credible uh, and, and it's not, you know, it's not fraudulent people that are going to just elevate their own lifestyle.
1: Sure.
2: So, you know, that, that, that's number one. Um, but to qualify, you know, you pretty much just have to have a really compelling idea and the people that are posting on these crowdfunding platforms. They need to really sell themselves. Every startup and entrepreneur in the world thinks that their idea is, you know, amazing. And yeah, it's the, the best next billion dollar talk.
1: idea. Yeah, see a lot of those. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> so you know, the, the important thing is is to make sure that that you're always selling, that you're marketing that idea correctly, that, that you you know, you've got a good resume yourself as a founder or a co-founder, um, that your that your startup is is worthwhile. Because if it's through a platform like the donation based platforms. A lot of the investors that are investing or, or funding your your idea, they're not getting a lot other than maybe access to the product or service that you're developing. Maybe they're getting some credits or a cool T-shirt or whatever that whatever that may be. Yeah. And you've got you've got to make sure that those people are actually investing more in you and your startup than they are for you know any kind of of
1: return. So any any entrepreneur that. That's out there listening. What are, what are the couple of main ingredients they need to have to to at least attract interest in the first place?
2: You need to have great rewards. Um, if you're if you're on a if if you're on a donation-based crowdfunding site, you need to you need to have amazing rewards. And what I mean by that is, if you're developing the next accessory for the iPhone five or the iPhone four, you you need to make sure that you're giving exclusive access to the hundred investors or, or hundred and fifty investors that believed in your product. They get access to it first. Maybe they get it free. Yep. Um, you know, maybe, maybe they're, they're listed somehow on the product itself. I mean, there's, there's a number of ways to do it. Sure. I know there's, there's a lot of filmmakers out there that make short films that started to put people in small bit roles in in the films themselves if they funded. And
1: the executive producers.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So it's really being creative and offering uh, amazing rewards, uh, you know, to the people that are coming there because a lot of the startups are in competition, you know, with hundreds of other startups, you know, vying for crowdfunding dollars.
1: Yeah, so – uh, what sort of What sort of um, amounts of money can people get from crowdfunding
2: They can get a lot there's there's been some some amazing success stories um, and the reason why I use that iPhone accessory is that that happens to be one of the more successful ones where they took a an i an i iPod Nano and turned it into a watch basically like a yeah. you know a dick Tracy type thing cool. And what's cool about that is, is their funding there originally were looking for, you know, 25 to 30,000 for product prototype development. And they, they ended up raising, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. They were, they were overfunded. Okay. Um, so, so you, you can get these, you can get these wild success stories. But if you, if you look at them as a case study, that's a real good case study for your entrepreneur, you know, your audience is, you know, look at what they did effectively. You know, right. not only was it a not only was it a sexy product, but there was a great founding team behind it. Um, there was great execution execution on their social media strategy to get the word out. Right. Um, there's just there was a number of things that they did very, very well.
1: So a couple of hundred thousand tops it out.
2: Yeah, I mean, get, getting above that um, is is probably pretty difficult. I really do I, I need to say... have the next
1: billion dollar idea, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, you w- I would, I would be surprised if anybody got north of half a million in crowdfunding uh, okay. through the donation-based model.
1: Right. Are there any strings attached? What, what sort of strings are attached to?
2: That, you know, it really, was... there's there's not a lot of not a lot of strings. Um, you know, I mean, <laughs> well, once once the money's placed, it needs to get to a certain percentage to be funded, or yep. the money can be returned back sure. to the investors. Yeah um so th- there's not a lot of strings the, the you know as we all migrate to these equity based platforms there's going to be a lot more strings attached sure um, where where investors will you know be actually losing their investment you know as opposed to just looking at it as a donation
1: so how many how many people out there are actually donating and think it's a great idea to donate
2: uh, I'm sorry they're doing what
1: how many people out there are actually donating and and Donating for the good of the country or the good of the entrepreneurs or whatever
2: oh I mean it's thousands to really? ten, you know, probably, yeah probably tens of thousands okay. if, if you if you added up everybody across um, all the different platforms, there, you know, it's an enormous amount of number it's an enormous amount of people and it's only growing
1: that's, that's very encouraging isn't it? that people want to it, give it, entrepreneurs a go.
2: It, it, it really is, and I mean, have you been following the news on the on the Jobs Act?
1: Yeah. So
2: that you know, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, the fact that we're we're finally changing a stale platform that was regulated by the SEC off some 1934 rules. Yeah. Uh, to to kind of catch up to modern day is 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 truly going to transcend uh, access to capital for entrepreneurs.
1: That's great, because I've been appealing on this show for some months um, for help for entrepreneurs, um, particularly entrepreneurs in college, for example. You know, if they achieve X, Y, or Z, some sort of parameters, then they, um, they get their um, um, college loans wiped or whatever, but, but something that encourages... You know, 15% of all kids on campus are starting a business, and get absolutely no help whatsoever from anybody. <laughs> so yeah, I think this tough. is fantastic. Um, I've been told, and I'm not sure where I got this from, that um, when appealing for crowdfunding, you have to be careful not to violate um, securities laws. How hard is that to... Do you look after that, or is that the responsibility of the entrepreneur?
2: No, no, that's something the platform's going to have to look at after. And, you know... Kickstarter and, and Startup Addict, you know, I I think we're both donation-based platforms because of the SEC regulation and I'm certainly not going to speak for Kickstarter, but you know, our platform right now is is going to be updated for for the new legislation and sure. basically what what happens is is you can't you can't do public solicitation for investment. You can't can't do any general or public. Sure. So I, yeah, you can't I send something out on Twitter or Facebook and say, "Hey, I've got the the next Facebook. Why don't you give me ten grand and you know go from there?" So that's that's number one. Number two is
1: you you can't offer
2: um, equity to non-accredited investors.
1: Yeah, I, and that, that was going to be my next question. So um, crowdfunding at the moment is only available to the wealthy accredited investors, right?
2: That's right, and that's, and that's the equity-based uh, yeah. uh, crowdfunding, and there's a few platforms located outside of the United States. Um, they're the only ones that are allowed to do equity-based platforms. There are a few in the United States, but, um, you know, there's there's much more disclosure that goes on. They're sm- smaller, tight-knit, closed-door crowdfunding communities where they're not as public because yeah. You know, they get into private placement memorandums and, and some of the other financial instruments that are necessary to place equity.
1: Yeah, which makes it extremely difficult for the young entrepreneur who's got a great idea and is out there battling that doesn't quite understand how complex this stuff is.
2: Co- correct. I mean, you know, the the, the key thing is, is sometimes, you know, our motto as Startup Addict is is no good idea left behind. And yeah. the reason for that is, Sometimes somebody just needs $10,000 to make a really cool prototype so they can get to the next level. Yeah. And they, they may have all the brain power. They may have everything in place, and they just can't scratch together $10,000. And to the crowd, that's nothing. I mean, that's,
1: yeah.
2: that, that's nothing to raise $10,000. Right.
1: So you know, that, was, that sort of leads me to my next question, that... Um, is it that crowdfunding sort of readily available to provide initial funding, but as we know, this only goes so far; it gets you your prototype or whatever. Then, how hard is it after that to get the usually, usually much larger second round of funds? Is that harder to go back, or is that where you go out and get, you know, knock on a hundred more doors?
2: Well, that, that, that that's a great point, Bob, because that that's what you should keep an eye on. Um, in the next 270 days as the SEC crafts their, their new legislation that the House and the Senate passed for the Jobs Act. Because yeah. basically crowdfunding is for lifestyle companies or what we call lifestyle companies. So, sure. you know, if you want to open it up to the public, great. You know, the, the entrepreneur can make a great living, maybe, maybe hire a few people. He's got a great product or service. He's got a small business. It's all really good stuff. Yeah. But if you're trying to be the next Facebook, um, it's very difficult because what happens is when you look for that, that later round, that later Series B, Series C funding, it's more difficult to get because now, you, now you have maybe 150 investors that stepped in front of an angel or a VC or private, you know, private equity VC firm.
3: Yeah.
2: And, and now they're like, well, does the crowd sit on the board? Uh, does the crowd have, you know, yeah. voting rights? What? Yeah. How much How much have they diluted, you know, the valuation of the company? What's the pre-valuation of the company? So there is, there is going to be a sticking point there, and, and crowd, the equity-based crowdfunding is going to have to work through that and mature through that.
1: One last question. Are the authorities consulting with you guys in the formulating of this legislation, or is it going to become a very difficult mess like most of their legislation is?
2: <laughs> well, it, it, I, I think I think the latter, Bob. <laughs> they're not good at it, but, are they? <laughs> but you know, I, I you know, like like most government, they they've certainly been listening to a lot yeah. of us inside the industry, yeah. Um, and they've been hearing what we've been saying, and certainly, you know, our, our senators and, and House representatives have heard us,
1: yeah.
2: Um, based on what's passed, so uh, you know, I think I think they're taking that to heart and. And we do have to watch out for fraudulent activity because this sure. is going to open up, you know, this is going to op- open the door to hucksters, you know, all over the world. Yeah. So, so we do have to be wary of that. But it's going to mature quickly and, and it, it will work its, its way out. And when it does, it's going to be a phenomenal platform for entrepreneurs and startups.
1: Well, I hope you're right. I hope they don't take a great idea and totally fuck it up. Todd, <laughs> thank you very much for your time. I'd, I'd love to follow you up with some of the projects that come across my desk, and I will do that. Um, it was terrific to talk to you. Now, if you'd like to contact Todd, go to www.startupaddict.com. You know, we need more companies like Todd, so if you've got some dollars you would like to, in, to, to donate um, to help a, a, a American entrepreneurs who are... They're the solution to our debt and our jobs crisis, and they need funding, uh, and our... Please contact Todd, and if you require funding, please go to the Startup Data website also. And I'll be back in just a couple of minutes with some more of the Bob Pritchard radio show.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or non-profit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. G.? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters with Dr. G airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore. Or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com.
1: Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. This is the segment where we uh, give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's extraordinary and successful people and what makes them tick. Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life as average, ordinary people, just like most of us. So what makes them unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. My guest today, I've reached in Indianapolis, is Scott McCain, who teaches businesses how to deliver the ultimate customer experience. Scott's one of about 150 living members of the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. And trust me, as somebody who goes out speaking regularly, that is one hell of a feat. He's also recognised by Social Media Marketing Magazine as one of the 50 most influential marketing authors on Twitter and Glenn Juice. Scott was also chosen by Arnold Schwarzenegger to be the MC and speaker for the Great American Workout, held on the White House lawn with the President and carried live on CNN and NBC's Today show. He's the author of Collapse and Distinction, How to Create Differentiation in the Marketplace, which took the number one spot on Amazon's list of business bestsellers. Now, I often talk about how to differentiate yourself, and but Scott takes it to the next level. Hi, Scott. Welcome to the show.
3: Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it, and uh, I'm, I'm just honored you would have me. Thank you very much for letting me have the opportunity to talk with you today.
1: Thank you. Firstly, is to be distinctive the same as differentiation? And if so, does distinction simply involve doing a lot of things extraordinarily well?
3: Well, the latter part is certainly correct. Uh, distinction involves doing uh, a number of things certainly well. One of the things we found as is, is I was looking and doing the research for the book was that uh, distinctive companies tend to tend though uh, it's not that they throw the baby out with the bathwater start over and say we're going to be distinctive it's that they find one or two particular areas that they flip upside down let, let me give you a quick example uh... enterprise rental car uh... The, the rental car that you get from enterprise is the same that you would get from hertz or Avis or any of their other competitions so there's no product uh... differentiation available in that business but enterprise had had one solitary idea instead of making the customer come to us to get the car, we will take the car to them. Yeah. And, and by changing that one aspect, how, how the customer accesses the product... They've, they've created the largest rental car company in the world. Um, so what we find with these organizations is that it's not necessarily that they you know do A to Z differently, but they can at least find one or two things that they absolutely turn upside down. What I, what I see is that if we were thinking of, let's say, laptop computers, right. we, we could see a pyramid. At the bottom would be those organizations that are the same. Acer, Asus, uh, Gateway, uh, Fujitsu, and it's not that they make a bad product. All of those make a, you know a wonderful product. It's just that I can't tell you why you should buy an Acer instead of an Asus. That it's all the same. Sure. Sony, Dell, HP, others have differentiated themselves. Sony, for example, uh, with the Violine line and, and and other organ. You know, uh, uh, yeah. HP with the printers and peripherals. Dell made the order. So they have something about them that differentiates them. But I think that we would all tend to agree that Apple has become distinctive over the last few years, that Apple is what, what our buddy Joe Callaway calls the category of one. They have risen to a point that there's true distinction in the marketplace as opposed to merely making themselves different. And so what we find is that differentiation, or at least in the terminology that I'm using in the book, Differentiation is critically important. It's something that every organization Absolutely. must do. But but what what could happen to us if we even went beyond that? What, one of the phrases I'm using now is, what happens when great isn't good enough? Yeah. <laughs> you know, how do you go beyond that and, and even take it to a higher level? And it fascinates me that, that there are some organizations that do create that, that area of distinction, that area where they stand out more than than, than anything. and And they also seem to be able to weather... Uh, volatile uh, economic times better than than other organizations as well so it's it's a critical aspect that's a great
1: place to be because you're not buying on price you're buying on something else that, and you know um, once you stop differentiating you start um, selling on price it's the kiss of death
3: Oh, absolutely, and you you hit the nail on the head because I, I I'm sure you have the same thing. People say, well, they're loyal to us, no they're not they're loyal to price yeah. <laughs> i mean if if price is the differentiating factor, then as you you know as as you talk about, then all you have to do is to lower your price, and get the business, yeah, exactly. but it's not your customers' loyal to you, they're loyal to the price, and so what we've got to do is to find something else and, and and that's where what you talk about and, and and what I talk about, and it's so important for organizations and for individual professionals to understand that uh, if you keep bringing the same old thing to the marketplace, then, then you haven't given your customer a reason to choose you.
1: Yeah. Well, now, we hear a great deal about shameless self-promotion. I often think that that's what I do. <laughs> does that help build <laughs> distinction?
3: Well, yeah, I, I, it certainly does, but, but when when you do it, and when others people who do it and do it right, as as you do, uh, there's a congruency there that I think the customer is looking for. There's so much clutter in the marketplace that part of that is because there are shameless self promoters that can't back up the promotion with with actual content or results or quality of product and service. And so I think that's sometimes where it gets uh, you know where, where, where people might shy away from that is because they're shamelessly self promoting a shell, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And, and obviously that's not what you're doing, it's not what I'm trying to do out there in the marketplace. But I, I, I think that's one of the things that distinctive organizations do is not only do they shamelessly self-promote, but they shamelessly over-serve their customer, they shamelessly create uh, extraordinary products and services, and so there's a congruency there between the promotion and the practice that 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 really drives the distinction in the marketplace. Yeah.
1: So, should a business be concerned with meeting the standards for the industry that, that they're in? Well, I've always viewed the industry standard
3: well, as being the average, right? I mean, if yeah. someone says, well, this, it's the industry standard, that's, that's the average. And, the and, uh, uh, oh, average. Yeah, you're exactly, exactly right. And as a mentor of mine once said, well, you know, average is either the bottom of the top or the top of the bottom, you know? yeah. <laughs> where you want to be. and and distinctive organizations aren't concerned about the industry average or the industry standard because their practice is you know, to, to be distinctive, to exceed it, that they they set their own benchmarks. And what happens is the competitor in the marketplace is usually trying to catch up to them.
1: Yeah, I, I saw a, an article um, about from Harvard saying that uh, they looked at 51 categories of of um, products and services, and they found 46 of them um, to be what they would consider um, commoditised. So mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. couldn't see the difference between one and the other. In fact, a survey showed 92% of people saw what like products as totally interchangeable. If I don't buy wow. this, I'll buy this, and it doesn't make any difference because they're about the same, and that mm-hmm. Make, mm-hmm. makes it really hard to market your product when you're in that sort of position.
3: Oh, exactly. But you know, what's fascinating to me is the commoditization uh, I, I, it is as much the attitude of the organization and the people within that organization as it is the industry. Um, if if you know, if we accepted that people drink coffee in the morning I've right? been doing it for centuries and it's uh, been doing it all over the world Starbucks comes along and differentiates coffee yeah. uh, you know if, if Starbucks would have said well coffees a commodity it would it would never have risen to the global success that it has Uh you know, it's it just fascinating to me if you look at, you know, I mean, you can get water for free out of a fountain. <laughs> but yeah. when, when, when you and I travel the world, we see people buying bottles of Evian, uh, and, and others, you know, everywhere. And so, uh, I water's a commodity, <laughs> you know? And so, the, the, yeah, I mean, I, I it's water, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we will, we will, see. Spend money to to, and and we even have our favorite waters. There's some that prefer Evian, there's (laughs) uh, some that prefer others. And and so, it it it, it's commodit. I I I believe that commoditization exists. It obviously exists, but I think it's it's not just an industry that becomes commoditized. I think it's it's also the you know the mindset of uh, the people within an organization about whether or not they're going to accept that for themselves. Because if you can differentiate coffee, if you can differentiate water, you know, uh, uh, Mastercard and Visa differentiate currency. Yeah, uh, you, you know, you'll pay a higher interest rate for the convenience, even though the, you know, the dollar is the same uh, from from one to another. And so we can find ways to to create compelling differentiation and become distinctive in our markets, even if we're dealing in a in a in an industry that has. And long thought to be
1: commoditized. I think it's interesting. I, I talk to clients and talk on the show about um, most people think the business that they're in is what they're selling, where usually it's quite different. In fact, I hardly ever see an instance where what the people are selling is the business that they're really in. And I thought of that because when you were mentioning Starbucks and differentiating coffee, um, Starbucks really don't sell coffee at all, do they? No, they, I mean they coffee is a buy you, you? get a yeah, cup when yeah, you walk yeah. in but that's about as close as it gets well, Yeah, well you know I, I started uh, not, not this,
3: this book but the one before that I, I started it talking about sitting there and writing the book and, and that was kind of the blinding flash the obvious was I was sitting there in Starbucks so why did I walk in that store for a cup of coffee well yeah I guess that's the product I mean that's what the exchange of money was for was to buy that coffee but that you know, I was also buying, uh, you know, a, a, an experience, a place to sit, uh, but you know, internet free connection. Wi-Fi. All of, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. It's it's a free Wi-Fi, free, you know, and, and so you sit there and you have the free Wi-Fi, and, and usually it's, uh, many of them are at a place where you can even sit outside if the weather's good. You know, those kinds of things that, uh, I, 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 it got some work done. So what was I paying them for? Well, technically I paid them for the coffee, but really the reason I was there, was, was all that and so much more. And so that's part of what I, I think that you know, we buy the water, but in part it's the convenience of that plastic bottle and the ability to handle it and it fits right in the, the cup and the car and all those kinds of things. But also, you know, there's a little, I don't know, some people I don't buy, there's some people, uh, you know, they feel a little prestigious drinking Evian water as opposed to Perrier, as opposed to, you know, just, yeah. Get that out of the tap. I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny what people will pay for and what people will differentiate all over the world, isn't it? <laughs> but, I but, think it but proves it, that you can true.
1: fool most of the people most of the time. In my view, you know, the key to success is hard work, hard work, and more hard work. I, I think, irrespective of what you do, if you work hard enough, um, eventually. You'll succeed, to what degree. depends on a whole bunch of other things, but you'll succeed. Now, we all know that hard work's important, but how much does luck figure into business success? I've always discounted it. What's your view?
3: Well, there's the old line, I mean, in in my country, Abraham Lincoln is is, uh, uh, quoted as uh, saying it, but if if you really take it back, it it goes to Seneca uh, in in ancient times, and and that is that luck is when opportunity opportunity meets preparedness. Yeah. And I, I think it goes back exactly to what you're saying. It's, it's that if, if we work hard enough, that hard work becomes the preparation. So when the opportunity arises, we are prepared to meet it. Yeah. Um, in, in every industry, and I'm sure you see the same thing. I mean, you, in every industry that I work in, and I, I will meet people who are presented an opportunity and, and they just knock it out of the park and then, and it's because they've worked so hard for so long that when the, they are so prepared that when the opportunity comes, they can take great advantage of it. And then the funny thing is, those people who aren't prepared then look at that individual and say, wow, isn't he lucky? Absolutely. That's true. <laughs> He's fortunate, perhaps, that an opportunity came along, but, but to call it mere luck, I mean, luck to me suggests random chance. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's going to Las Vegas or it's going to a casino and it's the numbers come up right. That's yeah. your luck. Yeah. But but in terms of business, what we ascribe to luck many times, uh, I, to me, it, it might be, you know, we're fortunate. I think any of us that attain any degree of success should be respectful and, and, and appreciative and humbled by that. But uh, to merely call it luck or merely, merely call it chance, uh, I I think that's ridiculous. and As, as you point out too, it, it's, it, the people who have achieved it and achieved it through that hard work realize it's not about luck.
1: Yes, I, I think if, um, if you get one sale in every ten doors you knock on and you knock on one door, your chances of getting lucky is very slim. But if, you, if your chance is one in ten and you knock on hundred doors, you're probably going to get ten sales. So it oh, is God. about putting in the yards.
3: And it's also the drive, then, to go, well, if I'm getting one out of ten, I better knock on 20 doors today, exactly. or 30 doors today. But, you know, if, if I want to increase my sales 100%, then, then I need to knock on this many more doors. And, and success leaves clues. I mean, it, 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 in so many ways, I mean, people don't want to... People don't want to understand this, but it's uh, in it, it, so many ways it's a numbers game. Yeah. And by that I mean, um, well, I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I gave a thousand free speeches that I've documented, right. a thousand free speeches before I got paid for any. Right. And then people will go, gosh, you're so lucky to have a good career as a, as a speaker. Uh, <laughs> don't get me wrong, I am very fortunate. I'm the, I, I consider myself to be one of those. Most fortunate people, because folks like you and I get to do something that we really love. I mean, that's and and that's a true blessing. But I, I've said all along, if, if, if people will come out and say, "Will you help me build my business?" And I said, "Sure." First, just go out and do half of what I did. Go out and give five hundred free speeches, and 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 we'll go from there. And over thirty years, not one person. Has ever done the 500 free speeches?
1: Sure, it's a lot of work. I've got to tell you. Um, we're, yeah, right. We're just um, we're just about out of time, but very quickly, um, collapse of distinction. You talk about four cornerstones of distinction. What are they, Scott?
3: Real quickly, cornerstone number one is clarity. You. you can't differentiate in the marketplace what you can't define as an advantage. Yep. And, and I think that's part of what happens is we go out in the marketplace and we try to be all things to all people or the market gets a little tough so we start doing things outside of what our mission is and, and so it's being very clear about what we stand for in the market which also means we're clear about what we don't do. And what we won't do, and we put a flag in the ground and say, this, this is where we are. Second thing is creativity. It's then taking that clarity and doing something unique, as, as I mentioned earlier with the Enterprise Railroad, for example, or, yeah. or finding a way to do something unique and different. Third is communication. Uh, in seeing distinctive organizations and distinctive professionals found out more than others, they used stories as the way that they communicated. They used the narrative. Yes, they delivered facts and figures, but they did it through a compelling, exciting, engaging story. And the fourth is a customer experience focus. Distinctive organizations not only focused on customers and serving customers, they focused on what did it feel like to be your customer? What kind of experiences? What, you know, what, what, what what was the uh, emotion that you were engaging with customers? You only become loyal to those things that you have feeling toward. Yeah. If I don't feel anything about you then I'm not gonna be loyal to you. So so but what we haven't done enough in business, it seems like, any place in the world, is is to really look at what are the emotional connections that we're establishing with customers, how do we drive those so that they're deeper connections? What do we do to make them long-lasting? So distinctive organizations and distinctive professionals tended to do those particular cornerstones in that particular order.
1: Scott, fantastic to speak to you. I've really enjoyed it. I hope that we meet around the circuit someday. You know, I sound like an Aussie, but I've I've lived in California for 25 years. Um, Yes. yes. But I still sound like an Aussie. (laughs) So if you'd like (laughs) to find out... even more I about to live Scott. In well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. man. Um, so if you'd like to find out more about Scott, go to his website, scottmccain.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-M-C-K-A-I-N dot com. And don't forget his book, Collapse of Distinction. I guess uh, go to Amazon dot com. And I'll be back for the last segment of the show after this short break.
0: business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the
1: show. Wow, they were two great interviews. I, um, I learned a, a lot from both of them and, uh, I hope you enjoyed them. The great words of wisdom for both and, um, a lot of help in funding if you, uh, get in touch with Todd, this segment 's going to be very short, so um, this is a segment where we most popular segment of the show sometimes where we read emails, and I started an email last week and got cut off i 'll give it another shot today. I hope i don 't get cut off again. Um, this is from Alan Marshall of Sulcom in England, and Alan wrote, Dear Bob, picked up a copy of your book, and I'm really enjoying it. There's a different language used in marketing, and I want to make sure I really get what you're talking about. A couple of weeks ago, you referred to above-the-line advertising. What exactly does that mean? Well, Alan, in business communications, above-the-line, through-the-line, and below-the-line are advertising techniques. Above the line is targeted to a mass audience through mass media like TV, radio, movies, print, web, search engines, etc. And are usually used for brand awareness, getting more and more useless. Below the line is a non-media communication such as, you know, direct mail, email, printed media. It's an incentive to purchase to drive sales. And through the line is a strategy using both above the line and below the line strategies. So I hope that helps. And since you already have a copy of Kick Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, I sent you Marketing Magic, which features myself and 17 other great marketers, including Brian Tracy and um, many others that you'll know. Now, so we here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. We're all about helping small business to be more successful and more profitable. I also last week started a quote of the day or a couple of quotes of the day. I hope I get time to give you two here. Um, it doesn't have to be bad business, but I prefer that it was. One of my favourites, and um, you know how absolutely critical I believe customer service is, this is by Henry Ford. A business absolutely devoted to service will only have one problem when it comes to profits. They will be embarrassingly large. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Thomas Jefferson said every generation needs a new revolution well that revolution's certainly happening now with the changes in technology peter drucker one of business's wisest men said the greatest danger in times of turbulence is not the turbulence the greatest danger is to act with yesterday's logic we really need to change the way we think about things in the same vein in the same vein <laughs> john paul getty said In times of rapid change, experience could be your worst enemy. Now, Janet Eden of Woodland Hills sent me the following quote by William Bocher. It says, if your business keeps you so busy that you have no time for anything else, there's something seriously wrong either with you or your business. Janet, I love it. I've sent you a copy of my book. Remember, we're here to help small business succeed every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Send in your quotes. Email me at bob at bobbritchard.com. Follow me on Twitter and Google+. And I'll see you at the same time next week.
0: You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.